are loved by our great Heavenly Father. We have grace. We have mercy. He has given us salvation through His Son. <clears throat> I thank Him for that. Yesterday, I ended up in the doctor's office, <clears throat> stupidity on my own. I kicked uh, thresholders was walking through a doorway, and I noticed uh, the little piggy that went to market <clears throat> went off an early exit ramp. He was facing off the side, and uh, I ended up that I broke one toe and uh, um, sprained the other. And, you know, I was sitting in the doctor's office after uh, using my truck as a waiting room and going through all the COVID stuff that we have to go through and realizing, you know what, I don't like to be sick. I don't like to be in doctor's office. I'm thankful that they're there, uh, but I do not like them. And when the doctor was all done, they gave me a boot to wear. They taped my toes together and they gave me a piece of paper which told me what I should do to get better. And I was just thinking this morning, because I did read the paper, and there's not much to do. Keep my foot elevated, don't be standing, take aspirin and Tylenol, or not aspirin, but Tylenol and uh, Motrin. And I thought, I can take that paper and that advice, and I can throw it away and ignore it. Or I could read it, understand what it says, and live by it. And I thought, how much more we need to do that with our Bibles? Now, obviously, I was preparing for this sermon and testimony long before I broke my toe. God just have a, has a wonderful way to bring introductions in for me. And I just want to say that, you know, we really do have a testimony in so many passages and verses and parables of this word. And I hope that you guys read the Word and study it, but more importantly, absorb it and bring it into your life. It has changed mine, and I thank Eric for the opportunity to be able to share this with you. Let me start with a prayer. Dear Father in Heaven, we thank you for any time we can come to you, which is actually all the time, Lord. You have open arms and open ears to hear our problems our praises, our questions. Lord, you don't rebuke us, you don't desire us to be in sin, and you give us guidance. We thank you for the great love that you have given us, and we pray, Lord, that this word that we're going to speak today goes out to many, and they hear it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you can, and you've got your Bible, and I don't know if there's any in front of you or not in the pulpit. Oh, okay. <clears throat> We're going to go to Luke, which is in the New Testament. We're going to go to Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, which is verse 11 through 39. I'm going to read it fairly quickly, and then we'll go over it. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fatted calf for him, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This verse means a lot to me <clears throat> because I was lost. And now I'm found. My life has many different testimonies, many different ways that I've found God, or actually God found me and has led me, treated me, protected me, guided me. God has been with me before my life began. And when I look back at all the things and think about sharing the testimony, I realize you guys don't have 59 years for me to preach with. And so I come to you today with just a couple stories. But I did want to go through this one because it means and reflects so much of my life. So as we start out, <clears throat> we're going to read verse 11 and 12 again. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. As we start to see this, we see that the father had provided everything his son had needed. At this point, he's talking to his younger son, and further on down, we'll read that the servants have bread and that there are servants. So by that, we know there's family. We know there's property. There's an estate. It's probably a well-off estate with the servants that they have, but the Bible doesn't tell us how large or how wealthy this is. It just says that there are servants. And it can be divided, as we see, and still continue. So when this younger son takes what is owed to him after his inheritance, he gets it, and yet the farm still survives. The servants are still there. But the big thing out of this is we know that the son has anything he needs. This isn't a young man living in poverty and scraping by. This is a young man living in well-to-do areas having everything that he needs. There's, there's no desire except for his wants. 
but I'm sorry, there's no need except for his wants and desires. We also see the father. This is his father's property. And the father is the head of that property. Everything is the father. Now the son doesn't agree with that. He would like his inheritance. When the father is no longer with him, the son, in this case the younger son, in, in understanding that maybe there were just two sons, and he was the youngest, he probably would have gotten about a third of the estate, half of what the older son would have gotten upon the death of his father. This is an inheritance he's asking for. He's not asking for an allowance. He's not asking for an allotment. He's asking for his father to basically go away from my life. Be as you are dead and give me the money. It's basically saying, you know, hey, I can't, I can't wait for you to die, Dad. Hurry up and do it, because I want my stuff right now. I'll reserve my thoughts on what he deserves. It really, you know, something might have to do with a belt and a good spanking, but, you know, that's just me. And in this simple sentence, it says the father did do as the son asked. In the tradition of those days, like I said, the inheritance would have been a third, and it would have been given after death. But the biggest thing in this is that it's not just a monetary transaction. The father didn't just hand him some money. The father realized that the son cared more about the wealth and the property than he cared about the relationship. The father meant less than the items that the son would get. It's pretty sad to think about, and I hate to admit it, but we often go that way. We often think, God, what's in it for me? God, if you let me win the lotto, God, if you give me this car, God, if you do this, and the God, and God, not you, God, is already supplying everything we need, and yet we go with ungratitude, and we don't wish for God to be with us. We wish for the things that he provides to be with us greater. On through verse 13 and 19, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took the journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So, in a good way, when you hit rock bottom, there's only one place to look. That's us. So the servant had gone a long way off. And it's interesting that they say it's a long way off. Why didn't he just take the money and build next to him or stay next to him or, or have all the fun he wanted in that same area? Because he would have had people that were he was accountable to. He would have been responsible for the name of his family. The people looking and going, aren't you so-and-so's son? Why are you doing this? And even his family may have seen him and asked and said, why are you doing this? There would have been a response from others around him 
for the actions that he was doing. So he leaves and he goes far away. In my life, you didn't get away with anything when mom and dad were around. But if you went away, that's where the trouble was. That's where you could do what you wanted to because you thought nobody was seeing. When I was a child and growing up, we would go away, but our neighbors would watch us. And they would call mom and dad if we were bad. And it's like, oh man. So if you were going to be bad, you had to go farther away. And we did. <laughs> we unfortunately did. And often, we would still get caught. So, he had been living there, and he spent all his money. Wealth and things that we think are, are supplying all our needs go away so quickly. Anything can happen to us. Anything can go on, and we're empty-handed. He had a wonderful continuing relationship with his father. He was supported and things were there. He wanted this small bundle of money and he took that and he went away and he spent it. Unfortunately, at that point, it was not a renewable resource. He didn't have another bag of money in a savings account. He didn't have any other inheritance left. It was already spent. So he needed somewhere to work. So he found a man with a herd of pigs. In that time, in his place where the, the son was from, the pigs would have been considered unclean, unholy. And to feed the pigs and to take care of the pigs and to clean up after the pigs would have been the lowest of lowest things that you could have done. And it would have been such a disrespectful position for him to be. And yet, he was far away from family. Nobody would see, nobody would care. He did what he was going to do to get his food. <clears throat> so he took the job, and he was feeding the pigs. And he looked, and he's like, man, I am so hungry, I would even eat the food that these pigs are eating. Unfortunately, his job was not to feed himself with that food. It was to feed the other man's hogs. So nothing was given. He was hungry, and no one gave him anything. His plan was not working. His choices had led him right here. His actions could not save him. His choices brought him to feeding hogs and starving. His actions were, Dad, give me my money. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do everything I want to do. When he was out of his money, when he was out of anything that he could do, starvation was coming upon him. Feeding those hogs wasn't feeding him. So it says when he came to himself, that means when he thought, when he took responsibility for his choices and his actions, and he realized what he had done that brought him to this position. In today's society, we don't like accountability. We don't like realizing that what we do has an adverse effect on ourselves and on others in many of our choices. We don't want to hear, wow, I really got myself into trouble. When I ran into the wall, I would have loved to blame the house for moving that threshold so my foot came against it. Wasn't quite the case. I did it. I was stupid. I don't know how my body got through the door without my foot, but it happened. We need 
to take accountability for what we do and where we're at. Sometimes we make bad choices. I've made so many bad choices, and yet, right now, my life is wonderful. God has changed my life. God has covered me and brought me to where I am today, and I thank him greatly. I don't praise God enough for what I have. And I'll admit, I still love to grumble. I still love to blame. He also remembered in his plan that he had sinned against God in heaven. Doing different things, the actions that he had done, and for disrespecting his father. The Bible tells us, honor your father and mother. He did not. So he set forth and he had a plan. I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn from where I'm at. I'm going to seek forgiveness, and I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to hope to receive that amount of bread that my father's servants get to eat. That is what I would like right at this point. I need that bread. Verses 20 through 24. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The son had a plan. He was still working on his own. It was a good plan at first. Turn back. Leave the sins that you're in. Turn. Basically the meaning of repentance. Turn back. When you're in sin, you're walking away from God. When you repent, you turn from that and you walk towards God. So good part of his plan. He was going to go to the land of his father. He didn't need to be away in a spot where he had no accountability, he had no family, he had no one to care for or care about. He wanted to go and be in a home where his father was. He wanted to be with his father and those that were with his father, to be surrounded by the love and compassion that was in his home. Another good part of his plan. The only thing that didn't happen to his plan is when he went, he turned and repented and he confessed to his father <clears throat> the third step in his plan, to get that job of a servant and have some bread, his father stopped him. His father had a greater plan. His father loved him greater than the desires he was searching for. He wanted bread. His father wanted to renew a relationship. So his father stopped him. There was no suggestion of a job. There was no go ahead and work in the field and I'm going to give you the bread that you need, and you'll have just enough. His father comes to him, runs to him, in fact, grabs him, hugs him, and kisses him, and just starts dumping an abundance upon him. Now, we see physical abundance. Give him the best robe. Get the fatted calf, the best that's there. Let's celebrate. But, more importantly, the father was there. The father left his home. The father was watching. How did he see this man, his son, coming up the road? He was looking. 
It wasn't, oh, what's happening out of the side of my eye? The father had been searching and wondering and caring about his son. So he saw him. The father had a great right to sit in his home and wait for the son to come to him. But the father loved so greatly that he left the place that he was and he came to the son where he was, which was coming down the road returning to him. The father loved his son. <clears throat> Sorry, there's a little uh, story here that I'll add later, but uh, it just was wonderful. Now, we would love to stop here, and we would love to say, that's a great story. I, for one, love a happy ending. I cannot stand movies that are cliffhangers. I cannot stand things that are bad or not closed up. I love a happy ending. I love cheesy movies. Make it happy. Make me smile. This is good. <clears throat> so if Christ would have ended this parable here, I would be totally happy. But there's something else to be shared here. Christ continues this story, and so will we. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. When we talk about the parable of the prodigal son, we often identify with the prodigal son. Yes, I was lost, and I returned home. But who of us sees a reflection in the older son? It was said he was in the field, most likely doing the work that he has always done and supposed to do as the older son. He was probably overseeing the servants and making sure what they were doing. And he returned, and he heard the music and dancing, and he had to ask his servants, what's going on? This shows us that the father didn't go to him first to see if this is okay. This is showing that the father didn't check with anybody else to show grace and mercy upon his son. The father did it on his own. The son thought that this decision should have been shared. The father decided by himself. He was told his brother was safe and sound. Your brother was gone and not sure what happened to him. He's home. Isn't this great? The response is far from what we would think. It often is the response that I have when I see somebody else having so much joy and happiness over different things. What about me? Why don't I have that? Why am I not allowed to do this stuff? Wow, what about me? And you totally forget, what about your son that returned? He was told 
his brother was safe and sound, so there's a celebration going on, and his decision is to be angry, frustrated, and sit outside. There's a party going inside. He will not enter. The father comes out from the celebration. Again, the father leaves from where he was to go to another son where he is at. How many times does the father do that for us? Jesus left the heavenly realm and came to us, not because we were perfect, but he came to us in our sin and found us where we were. It's an amazing thing. And twice we see it here in this passage. The father's out there, and, and you would think, wow, that should be good enough. But in verse 28, he says, But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. The son goes on to respond from his father, and he's telling him how long, how well I've served this father, you know, just in case the father missed it, didn't see what was going on all those years. He also, just to make sure, throws in his younger brother, actually throws him under the bus, and he tells him what the younger son hasn't done for him and how he's taken his money and wasted it and spent it and, you know, all the bad things. So not only is the older son not able to stand up on his own, and see what the father does. He wants to take somebody with him and make sure that the father sees that there's people below him. There's people not as good as I am. Look at those guys. Don't look at me. I did good. I'm okay. Have you noticed there's people doing wrong things? Have you noticed other things? Like the father doesn't see. And yet we know that any sin, in all sin, is grievous to the Father. We should never look upon others and say, I'm better than that person. It means nothing to the Father. We need to look at that person and pray for them and say, I'm like you, and repent. The Father's response is really cool. He tells them, Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there was a celebration in heaven. There was rejoicing. And this isn't just a story or a thought. There truly is rejoicing in heaven when you come to the Lord. God knows you are found. God knows that you are saved. God knows you are there. There's happiness, rejoicing, celebration. And we have to remember that there's joy and celebration when those who have yet to find Christ as their Savior come to him. As we have been rejoiced over, we should see people that are searching. We should invite them and show them Jesus. We can't save them. No way. Our job is to introduce. Let me tell you about a guy. Let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, what do you know about him? Well, I know what's written in this Bible. Share that. And I know what's written in my heart. Sorry, i got to quit hitting that. <laughs> Sean's over there going, come on. Um, but I know what's in my heart. Those two things of truth we can share. We also need godliness with contentment. How often do we take our salvation 
and think about it in complacent ways. Or maybe just don't even think about it. We are very complacent of what God has done for us. God has taken us from the depths of hell and given us in an eternity in heaven with him. Guys, there's no middle ground. We do live forever. We have eternal life. But our eternal life is either in hell, separated from God eternally, which we can't even fathom. Our minds are way too small for that. We think, you know, 50 years is a long time. But the biggest thing is, Christ, through God's grace and mercy, has given us a way to be with God in heaven at all times. The Father has left his place through Jesus Christ and come to us in our sins and found us. Those of us who have received Christ have been in a celebration. There's been great joy. There still is. And yet sometimes we forget what we have. Sometimes we're complacent about our salvation. I look at Eric and I think about how joyful he is. And he's like, man, I don't care. It's just about sharing Christ. Everything is about sharing Christ. Let's do this in town. We can share Christ. Let's talk about Christ. Let's talk about the Bible. It's, he's excited. And he's excited. I often am that way, but not enough. I often dwell myself and, and go, oh, poor me. Things are bad. Da, da, da. And yet, when the joy of seeing somebody come to Christ, there's no other, there's no other thing better than seeing somebody else get saved. I pray that we never stand in the corner and go, well, what about me? I want to I be that person. I want to be the one that everybody's looking at and celebrating me and go, he's saved, yay! I want that. If you're saved, you've had that. And you continue to have that in heaven. Don't look down upon others. Have godliness with contentment. Because to be content in God and understand what he's given us is an amazing thing. Let us not question why or judge the others. Let us continue to celebrate. In this passage, one of the things and the reason I did it, and I'm going to get into my testimony a little bit, was when I was in the Navy, I was gone quite a bit. Family moved around. My mom and dad moved to Florida. The house that I grew up in or was raised for a few years in was gone. <clears throat> and I came back. And I was getting out of the Navy, and I believe this was probably 1983. And I flew in from overseas, and my sister Lori picked me up at the airport. In those days, those people that were picking you up could go to the terminal. And so when I went out, it was so wonderful to see a loving face, her and her husband Randy, greeting me and picking me up. And it was really cool. But one other thing happened on that trip. My brother had a new farm. He lives out here in Genoa. He's my oldest brother. Well, he was my oldest brother that I thought knew of. I have another one now. Um, his name is Russell. Hi, Russell, if you're watching the TV land. Um, but anyway, my brother Rich, who I love dearly, uh, we drove to his farm. And for me, coming out and 
driving through from Chicago O'Hare all the way out to Genoa, I'm like, what kind of hick town did he buy in? We just kept driving and driving and driving, and, and we got out there, and we pulled into his farm. And when we pulled in the driveway, I was sitting in the back seat of the car, and I told my sister, I said, hey, keep it quiet. He doesn't know, you know, I'm here. He doesn't know I'm coming. And so when we pulled out, I saw him in the kitchen window, and he was looking out, and he was wondering who pulled in, why somebody was in his driveway. And I could hear him talking. He's like, who's that? And when I stepped out of the car, it's going to be hard to get through this. Uh, when I stepped out of the car, I saw my brother look out the window and yell, it's Ron! And he dropped what he was doing, and he came running to greet me. Sorry. He came running, he threw his arms around me, we hugged. We're not one of them kissing families, so <laughs> we didn't go there. But I felt that I had returned to where I belonged. I didn't even know the Bible at that point. I never knew the story of the prodigal son. And when I was reading through there, I realized that God had given me this parable in my own life many years prior to me even reading it. God has always been with me. God has always watched us. God is always ready to run to you where you're at and hug and embrace you. I guess that's why I wanted to bring this in and share with it, because the story of my brother running to me means so much. He didn't know about the Bible either. <laughs> he didn't know this story, and I'm sure he didn't know I was going to share it today. I hope he does get to see this. There are many more verses in the Bible and many other things that I'd like to share, but I'll cut the time short. Eric said anything over five minutes is too long. So. <laughs> I just wanted to go through a few highlight points from the bulletin. Um, in the beginning, we have to realize that all we have is from the Father. We often take our bodies that God has created and given to us. We go to a job that is provided from God. We use our time that we think is ours. We go in and we work eight hours a day. Well, guess who gave us that time? God did. Guess who gave us the ability to do that work? God did. And we earn what we think is our money. It's not. It's God's. We have roofs over our house. This church is built out of block and wood. The wood comes from trees. Guess where the trees come from? God. The glass is made from sand and silica. Where does that come from? God. All the material things we have are from God. But more importantly, the grace and mercy we have and the love we have is from God. It's not something we create. It's something that we are given an abundance of. Yes, we get to use it. Are we to save it, to store it, and keep it as our own? No. We are to share it. We are to rejoice from it. 
The second point, left to ourselves, we misuse what we have been given. All the things that we have, we treasure. I know that I've had times where it's like, wow, I've got these shoes that are just fantastic. They're all in the garbage now. I've had cars. Wow, this is the best car ever. I've got this. They're crushed and rusted and gone now. My niece Kelly, <clears throat> because I used to injure my hands all the time at work, every gift from Christmas was a pair of Kevlar gloves. And by the time Christmas comes around again, I need more Kevlar gloves. My niece loves me and she wants to protect me, so she gives me these. The problem we have is they're really cool looking. They're really clean when I get them. And it takes me about two months to use them because I don't want to get them dirty. I don't want to use what she has given me. And it's for my protection, it's for my safety. And yet, I treasure them beyond what they are really for. And I save them, and she yells at me. And finally, I do get them dirty, and I use them, and, and I have all my fingers. Thank you, Kelly. <clears throat> Point three, we long for less than what God wishes to give us. My son Joshua has a little boy we would often go to Toys R Us. And he would get so confused. And some points I would get angry. And I would give him a five-second countdown. Josh, whatever's in your hand, in five seconds, that's what we're getting. Because he would want this item or that item. But I would go in and I would say, Josh, choose anything you want. Thinking that I'm a cool dad. This is good. And in my mind, I wanted the G.I. Joe Command Center, which was up here. It was so cool. That's what I wanted to play with, with Josh. And I'm like, Josh, you can have anything you want. You know, kind of pointy. You can have anything at all, anything. And Josh would be holding a guy and a little car. And he'd be going back and forth. And I'm like, or anything you want. And truly hoping that he takes that. And his choice would be something less than I had ready to offer for him. He was satisfied, and I let him buy the toys that he wanted but I had much more in plans for him. So Josh, if you're watching, the command center was yours. What'd you do? <laughs> I love my son. And, you know, it's just one of those where I truly relate that God has so much to offer us and we take so little. And the last thing is we want what others have, but we have all that we need. We had a Thursday men's Bible study here, and Frank came up with the best thing that I saw here, the best relationship to it. Don't know how it's in in our Bible study, but Frank was telling us about his squirrels. <clears throat> Frank's got a house with huge oak trees, and it's beautiful. Those oak trees shed a lot of acorns. His yard is covered with acorns. So many so that when you walk, you barely see the grass. It's just all acorns. Frank was telling us on Thursday, he's like, there's two squirrels in the yard. They're fighting. They won't let each other have the acorns. They're running in, and they're fighting with each other over an acorn. There's thousands upon thousands of acorns in the yard. There's more than those squirrels could eat. And yet they fight for that one. We have all that we need. We have everything we want. God provides for our needs. 
59 years, God has never not given me what I need. I've lived in wants and desires. God's filled desires. He's given me so much more than anything. I've trampled on some of it. I've accepted some of it. I've shared some of it. But I haven't praised God for all of it. And I need to do that. I need to praise God more for each day. We come into this church. Guys, we're out of the elements. We're nice. The government's got regulations for masks and things we have to do. We're still here fellowshipping together, reading God's word. This is joyful. We want to come in grumbling, but guys, we should come in rejoicing. We should come in thanking. We have everything that we need. God provides all that we are, all that we have. I pray that the biggest need that we have, of course, is our salvation. I don't know all of you in this room, and I don't know who's watching. I pray that you will understand, have faith, and receive the salvation that Jesus Christ offers you. In just a few moments, we'll be coming to communion. I believe Eric will be doing that. Okay. Wasn't sure if I had to. That's fine. No, well, I'm fine. <laughs> Enough of me. <clears throat> but, you guys, salvation is not a hard thing to obtain. It was a very hard thing for God to give. His son had to die on a cross in a brutal manner. Take the sins of all mankind upon himself. And in a way we'll never understand, be separated, the Son from the Father. It's amazing all the things that he has done for us. It is amazing that through our faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, we can have our salvation. There's no five-step program. There's nothing that we have to do except believe that we are sinners, know that we have sinned against God, believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who came down from where he was in heaven to find you where you're at in sin and to reconcile that sin, to take it upon himself so that you may be saved. Believe that the Son has saved you, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, the only way that you can be in heaven. Have faith in that, believe in him. Turn from where you're at and go to the open arms of God our Father. He loves you.